In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. when we talk about our guests' paths to Lutheranism, it is, in a lot of ways, a story of circumstances and of different occurrences in their life that, by a circuitous path, they come to find the comfort of confessional Lutheran theology and practice. And sometimes that path is more deliberate, it's a little more careful, and, and a little more analytical. That's probably true of our guest for the remainder of today's issues, etc., who has already taken his place in the pantheon of Lutheran history. Joining us for his path to Lutheranism from liberal Protestantism, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery. He's emeritus professor at the University of Bedfordshire in England. He's an honorary advocate of the Paris Bar after 20 years of legal practice in France. He's a barrister at law in England and Wales and a member of the Bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. He's professor-at-large with 1517, the Legacy Project, director of the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights, and author and editor of more than 60 books and a forthcoming Wittenberg Trail column for the Issues Etc. Journal. Dr. Montgomery, welcome back. Thank you. You not only did examine many, many Christian confessions of faith, but you've spent your career examining those and other religions. Why are you a Lutheran? Well, I grew up in a liberal Protestant atmosphere. The Presbyterian Church, in which my parents were members, had gone liberal long after my great-grandfather, for whom I named, arrived from uh, Northern Ireland. And I was fortunate to live with my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who was Baptist. And so she got me into the Bible, but this did not result in a conversion because she was a fundamentalist, and the church services uh, were pretty frightful at her place. So anyway, I went on to Cornell University, and there, a member of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Herman John Eckelman, an engineering student, glommed on to me and witnessed. And the result of this was that I was converted. And as soon as that happened, I recognized I had to change churches. The church I'd grown up in was a catastrophe. And the only two churches in Ithaca, New York, where Cornell was located, that were preaching the gospel were a Baptist church and a Lutheran church. 
at the Baptist church, they put their hands on you, hugged you at the church door, and at the Lutheran church, they kept their hands off. I was more comfortable if people kept their hands off. My major at Cornell majors were philosophy and the classics, Greek and Latin. And I was able to read the Greek New Testament with no difficulty at all. And so I investigated the various major confessions of Christendom, comparing their positions with the Greek New Testament. And, uh, you know, this included the Canons and Decrees, the Council of Trent for Roman Catholicism, the various confessions of the uh, denominations in general, and to my perfect amazement, uh, the Lutheran confessions always came out on top. They seemed to be the very closest to what Scripture was actually teaching. One of the things that particularly threw me off of the Presbyterians and the Calvinists in general was their notion that there was a limited atonement, that Christ died only for the elect. I found this not at all a scriptural teaching and pretty obnoxious. So I gravitated more and more to the Lutheran Church. The uh, presence at services was not quite as thrilling, uh, because I would stand up while everybody else was sitting down, and they would sit down while I was standing up. And I had had no liturgical background whatsoever, but I realized that that was simply sociological and that I could survive that. (laughs) And so I became Lutheran. It was not a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. It was a church of the ULC that is now the ELCA. And ultimately, I became a professor at an ELCA, then ULC, University in Canada, and I discovered that their theology department was also not at all satisfactory. They didn't hold to the full authority of Scripture and so on. And when I got a Canada Council Senior Research Fellowship to take a second doctorate in theology at the University of Strasbourg in France, as I finished that doctorate, I got in touch with Jack Preuss, who was then the president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and he arranged things so that I could teach one semester at the Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and uh, transfer my ordination into the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. You happened to enter the Missouri Synod at, well, retrospectively, it was an opportune time. We desperately needed you at, the, at that point. But what controversy was raging in the Missouri Synod as you entered? Uh, that was the so-called Seminex controversy. The term Seminex is an abbreviation for Seminary in Exile. And uh, as a result of almost all of the faculty members at the Concordia Seminary in St. Louis walking out, exiling themselves, and starting a new seminary, which they thought would eliminate Concordia, St. Louis, and create an independent Lutheran seminary. As a result of that, there was almost the total collapse of the Concordia Seminary St. Louis. 
fascinatingly enough, this was cooking at the time that I was a visiting professor for one summer session in St. Louis. Of course, I was asked my opinion about the uh, authority of Scripture. I told my classes in no uncertain terms that a limited inerrancy was a collapse because you learned the gospel from the scriptures, and if the scriptures couldn't be trusted, how could you trust the gospel? One day, knocking at the door was uh, Alfred von Sala. He was the dean of the seminary, and Sauer dragged me out, and he said, we will not stand for any criticism of our faculty. You are a visiting professor. I want to hear no more of this. And I said to him, if I understand you correctly, you are telling me not to present what I believe to be correct theology. Now, I said, what I'm going to do tonight is to go home and get in touch with the accrediting associations with which this institution is connected. And by the time I'm finished with you, you will wish that you had never been born. Sauer just stared at me. No one had ever spoken to him that way. He was a bombastic German, and it intimidated people forever. And I gave him the works, and I never heard another word from him. So during the Seminex controversy, I spoke all over the Senate and wrote heavily for a fully reliable scripture, just as Luther had taught. Luther said, I can't trust popes or councils because they have frequently erred and contradicted themselves. Unless you can convince me by holy scripture, I will stand right here. I can do no other. And from my way of thinking, having gone through an experience with the old ULC, I was not going to have that occur in the Lutheran Church, Missouri City, uh, you know, which I was in process of joining. Going into a little more detail, how would you describe your role in the Missouri Synod during the time of this controversy and afterward? Well, during that time, my professorship was at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield. That was an independent evangelical seminary, and that, of course, meant that I was looked at with suspicion because I obviously had close contacts with Protestant evangelicalism, and I am still looked with a certain amount of suspicion for that very same reason. But the fact of the matter is that my theology happened to be more Lutheran than the theology of these Seminex characters, and the laity recognized this. And it was really through the pressures of the laity that Seminex uh, finally disappeared. It wasn't the Synod. The Synod never did a single thing to discipline those professors who had uh, gone over to a Seminex position. Why? Well, because I think the Germanic spirit is that a great institution can never be wrong. And unfortunately, that is exactly the Roman Catholic position that Luther opposed. 
the Roman Catholics of Luther's time couldn't imagine that the Church was wrong on justification by grace through faith. And Luther was willing to stand against that kind of ecclesiology. I've never been as wild about ecclesiology as my fellow Missouri senators. They have, I think, too high a view of the visible church. It seems to me that uh, the proper motto is Ecclesia Semper Reformanda Est. The church must always be in a state of reformation. And it doesn't make any difference if the label is Lutheran. The question is, is the content Lutheran? And if the content isn't Lutheran, then get rid of the people who insist upon that non-Lutheran content and don't lose any sleep over it. You uh, tell a story about shuttling back and forth to Springfield Seminary at the time under the care of Jack Price. Tell us that story. Jack picked me up at the uh, Springfield Airport regularly and took me to campus. And, and, of course, I had a wonderful relationship with him. He was a grand person on every level. And one day when I arrived, he was sniggering. And I, and I said, what, what's so funny? He said, well, I just had a, a conversation with my Old Testament professor. And he said, the Holy Spirit has told me that the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were not written by Moses. And I said, and what did you say? Jack said, I said to him, that's funny. The Holy Spirit spoke to me also. And he said, you're fired (laughs) for this professor. And so so Jack announced to the professor that that was the end of his tenure at the seminary. And I said to myself, this is the kind of man we desperately need today as an administrator of the church. And eventually Jack, of course, became president of the synod. The sad thing about the Preusses is that they had very short lifespans, Something genetic, I imagine, and both uh, Jack and his brother Bob, who was also a dear friend, died quite young. And since then, the situation has not been quite as solid as it was in those days, but it's infinitely better than it was during the days of 7X. Dr. John Warwick Montgomery is our guest retracing his path to Lutheranism from liberal Protestantism on the other side. How does he respond when someone says, as long as we keep the gospel straight, we don't have to put too fine a point on Scripture and its authority? Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. 
the reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000, and the patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. The Lord has gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. These gifts can be received every week at both Grace Lutheran Church and Trinity Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas. Join us for divine services at Grace on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m., as well as every Wednesday at 11 a.m., or at Trinity every Sunday at 11 a.m. Grace is located at 3310 East Pawnee in Trinity at 611 South Erie. Gather with us around our Lord and His giving His gifts to us. See you soon. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, He created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org slash schools. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. It's Reformation Week. Our theme, Paths to Lutheranism. We're hearing Dr. John Warwick Montgomery describe his path from liberal Protestantism to Lutheranism. Dr. Montgomery, how would you respond to someone who says that as long as we keep the gospel straight, we really don't have to put too fine a point on Scripture's authority and inerrancy? Well, philosophically, that's saying that the Bible is okay spiritually, but it's not necessarily okay when it deals with ordinary factual matters. Now, the irony of this is that you can't separate the spiritual from uh, the factual. Take the uh, death of Christ on the cross. Was this a theological event or a historical event? You know, that's like the question, if you stop beating your wife, 
answer to that is that it's both, for goodness sake. The death of Christ on the cross is a historical event, and if, if it isn't a historical event, a factual, reliable historical event, it isn't worth anything theologically. So, philosophically, if one understands what facts are, and that theology can't be separated from fact, then uh, what I'm arguing is perfectly clear. And another point is, that I was making before, that the only place that we reliably learn the gospel is in the scriptures. And therefore, if the scriptures uh, can't get straight, the distance between Jericho and Jerusalem, or whatever, (laughs) then I cannot understand how we should believe that it can get the gospel straight. And what would be the criterion that we would have for appropriately judging scripture? What you would really need is a divine revelation of the second power that would go above the Bible and by which you could identify the mistakes in the Bible we have. We obviously don't have such a Bible, and the Bible that we do have claims to be the very Word of God. And Jesus Christ, the center of the Gospel, said, if you have not believed, how will you believe the one who sent me? It's perfectly plain that Jesus held to the reliability of the entire Bible. And when a few years ago, a dean of the Harvard Divinity School said, well, poor Jesus, he didn't have the benefit of modern higher criticism. My my response to this is, well, he rose again from the dead, and you haven't, and therefore I'm going to stick with the one who rose from the dead and is capable of saving me, not with somebody who is theorizing about eternity as you are. You say that uh, Lutheranism possesses the most scripturally faithful theology in Christendom. What do you mean by that? Well, if you take the various points of difference among the denominations, and, as I did, you compare each of those positions with what the Bible has to say about those issues, it seems to me that again and again and again, Lutheranism is correct, where there is a difference between Lutheranism and some other theological position. I mean, take something like the Lord's Supper. The Lutheran Church says that Christ is really present in the sacrament. Okay. Now, uh, (laughs) this is why Luther, uh, in his debate with Zwingli, kept writing on the table in Latin, hocus corpus meum, this is my body, this is my body, because those were Jesus' own words. Now, in other confessions and other confessional bodies, um, people are embarrassed about this because it seems irrational. How can Christ be in two places at once, you know, etc., etc.? And uh, therefore, in those uh, confessions, you have um, the confessions of those bodies, you have various attempts to get around this. You have the 
sacrament as symbolic or as a metaphor or the like. It's perfectly obvious from the text that this is no metaphor at all. It is a straight statement of fact. Now, I'm not saying that Lutherans, any more than anybody else, could understand how that's possible, but for a Calvinist, for example, to say that Jesus is at the right hand of God, and and therefore is is located there and couldn't possibly be present physically in every sacramental activity, it seems to me what's that saying, what's really being said there is that I, as a human being, know what God's capable of better than God knows. And uh, it seems to me that's utterly irrational. It's, It's perfectly stupid. Either God is the one to uh, define what he's doing, or he isn't. And if he's defined what he's doing, then heaven help us if we don't pay attention to it. Speaking of a strong sacramental theology, why didn't you become Roman Catholic or even Eastern Orthodox? Well, uh, the problem with Roman Catholicism, of course, is the papacy. That's the central problem, as it was for Luther. And the difficulty is to show that, number one, that the Pope is the head of the Church, and number two, that now is a result of, of later decisions of the Roman Catholic Church, that the Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra. Those things simply cannot be shown. So it seemed to me that uh, that that was just out of the question. As far as Eastern Orthodoxy is concerned, I have received the Patriarch's Medal uh, from the Patriarch of Romania for succeeding in a legal case that defended an Orthodox church body in Moldova, of all places. And uh, I spent a couple of weeks in uh, Romania, and I spoke at theological seminaries there uh, in French and in English. They told me I should speak in French, and of course the students all preferred English, and that was because the people who invited me were older. (laughs) So this was very interesting. Anyway, the situation is that things are far different in different Orthodox churches. The Romanian Orthodox are very close to Lutheranism, and they can't stand the Greek Orthodox, and they can even less stand the Russian Orthodox. The trouble with most Orthodox churches is that they are exactly like the Roman Catholic Church minus the Pope. And so you don't have a Pope, but you end up with the same kind of a mystical theology, the same kind of works righteousness, which is uh, condemned in Scripture. So I was just never never moved uh, in, uh, in that direction as much as I respect particularly the Romanian Orthodox. Dr. John Warren Montgomery is our guest. It's our series, Paths to Lutheranism. His path from liberal Protestantism is our subject. He says that the theological center of Lutheranism is the gospel. We'll find out what he means next.
The blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era. What is truth? Many today would say that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program, for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Interest Time is a magazine that Lutheran Church Extension Fund publishes to inform and educate readers on what God's people are accomplishing through His blessings. You'll find stories about congregations, schools, and organizations within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that are sharing the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Get your free copy today at interesttime.org slash subscribe. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Do you long for a church that celebrates the divine service with reverence and joy, but without the unbiblical baggage imposed by a supposedly infallible hierarchy? Do you long for a church that confesses a divinely instituted office of the holy ministry for the giving of the Lord's gifts to his people, and yet values and lifts high the priesthood of all believers? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find an historic, authentic church near you on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. You can help us reach more listeners by joining our monthly or annual giving program, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. It's the primary source of revenue for this worldwide outreach. Find out about the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. We're tracing Dr. John Warwick Montgomery's path from liberal Protestantism to confessional Lutheranism. He's director of the International Academy 
of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights. Dr. Montgomery, you say that the theological center of Lutheranism is the gospel, nothing less, nothing more. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, every church doctrinal position expresses what they think Scripture is actually teaching. But the most interesting thing is to look for the center, to look for what in that particular denomination or those particular denominations is really important. For example, in Calvinism, of course the cross of Christ is presented. And the cross of Christ saves people there just as much as it saves people in Lutheranism or elsewhere. But the fact of the matter is that in Calvinism, what is really central is the doctrine of divine sovereignty. God in eternity, first of all, predestining some to salvation and others to damnation by process of elimination. Because if they're not saved, obviously they're damned. There are only two places you you can end up. So my question is not just is the teaching of a given denomination faithful to Scripture, or how faithful is it to Scripture, but a second question, what really is the center of the theology? Where does one start in that denomination in order to understand the nature of the faith? And the remarkable thing about Lutheranism is that the whole thing is Christocentric. Uh, Luther said people who start with God in heaven uh, fall down and break their head. You've got to start with God's revelation of himself here on earth, where you are. And eventually you're going to get to cosmic issues, uh, broad cosmic issues. And this is also true in apologetics. There are Reformed apologists who spend all their time on questions of evolution. This is a terrible mistake. Apologetics ought to provide the case for Jesus being the very person he claimed to be. Because Jesus saves. Not believing in evolution doesn't save anybody. You also say that... uh... In the case of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, its leadership can still display the courage to insist on on the pain of execution, that it's scripturally justified theology, and that remains the denomination's bedrock. Explain that. Well, it, it seems to me that not only confessionally has the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, not changed its theology, it's still holds to the the Book of Concord and to the classic Lutheran doctrinal statements of the 16th and 17th centuries. And it really tries to follow Luther's teaching in regard to biblical authority and the proper distinction between law and gospel, that nobody can get saved by any kind of work or accomplishment that that person achieves. The only way to be saved is to admit you can't save yourself and to accept what God has done for you on the cross. So it seems to me that that's wonderful. 
Now, at the same time, there are certainly speculative teachers at certain Lutheran seminaries of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, I mention no names, that have desperately wanted to innovate. I had a professor once who said, I decided uh, that I always wanted to be original. And then I discovered that to be original in Christian theology means to become heretical, because the biblical truth has been around for a couple of millennia. And he said, therefore, I'm not famous. But, he said, I think I'm faithful. And in the Missouri Synod, there are, there are past, there's still some pastors who were uh, involved in the Seminex mess. They're now about 100 years old, but they're, they're still around. Some of them, they were never cleaned out. You see, if, if you engage in heresy trials and you do the kind of thing that Jack Price did with that Old Testament professor, then you're going to be regarded as a, uh, a fanatic. Jack didn't give a hang. And it seems to me that if people weren't so frightened of the administration in uh, certain churches, and I include there the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, if they weren't so darn frightened of getting into trouble with their district president and simply spoke the truth no matter what, we would all be better off. So... What do you say to a non-Lutheran who's listening? Why should they examine the truth claims of confessional Lutheranism? Well, because the unexamined life is not worth living, to quote Socrates, and one, one, it seems to me, has an obligation to try to find a church connection which is the closest to God's revelation as given in Holy Scripture as one possibly can. Now, that's a, a, a task at many different levels, and the average layman doesn't pursue it very far. But anybody who's going to be a teacher in the church has got to pursue it to the, to the hilt, because if he doesn't do this, he's not being faithful to his calling. Dr. Montgomery, you are a director of the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights. What can you tell us about this summer's academy there in Strasbourg? Uh, yes, uh, this summer uh, we have, as usual, my teaching and the teaching of Craig Parton. Craig and I divide up the teaching program between us, covering about half the program, and then each summer we have two visiting professors who are on our list of specialists teach the other courses. And we never teach the same thing in two successive summers. That is, uh, Craig and I will not be teaching the same courses that we taught last summer. The object of this is to provide the best answers to the non-Christian objections to Christianity to be found today. And we try to do this through nine different fields, through scientific apologetics, historical apologetics, literary apologetics, etc., etc. And the result of this is 
that a person is trained to be confident in evangelism. The reason that people don't do door-to-door evangelism in our church, I think, is very often because they're scared to death. They're going to be asked questions that they can't answer, and our program in Strasbourg really does prepare people to handle the issues and the objections that non-Christians raise concerning the faith. This summer, one of our visiting professors is Angus Minouge, who was uh, the president of the uh, International Evangelical Academy of Apologetics. And next summer, we're going to be having one of the professors at the Discovery Institute. They are specialists in scientific apologetics. It's a wonderful experience, and it takes place in the French Rhineland, and uh, that means that we're able to visit some wonderful sites, one of them displaying the finest pictorial representation of the crucifixion ever done, the Grunewald altarpiece in Colmar. And these activities are part of the regular program. cost of this is just a little bit over $2,000, and my goodness, for that, all you could do is to go to Hawaii and get a sunburn. You wouldn't learn anything. So we really encourage people to sign up, and there's still places available for this summer, and of course, definitely for the following summer. You'll find a link to the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. John Warwick Montgomery is Emeritus Professor at the University of Bedfordshire in England. He's an honorary French advocate, barrister at law in England and Wales, and a member of the Bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. He's Professor at Large with 1517, The Legacy Project, Director of the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights, and author and editor of more than 60 books and a forthcoming Wittenberg Trail column for the Issues Etc. Journal. Dr. Montgomery, thank you. You're most welcome. Issues Etc. Reformation Week concludes on Friday. We'll discuss Sehar Sadlovsky's path from Judaism to Lutheranism and Parisa Karami's path from Islam to Lutheranism. This is the great strength, the great truth of Lutheran theology and practice. At its center stands the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reconciliation of sinners with the holy God by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. 
Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.